and welcome back to this podcast, which has a new name. Just kidding, it doesn't. It's the same one. Oh, uh, what? No, yeah, it doesn't. I, I was making a joke. Oh, I didn't get it. Sorry, anyway, hi listeners, welcome back. We hope Hello. that you are being well and well-fed and well-clothed and well-bathed. Yeah. Yes, bathing is very important as we found out. Well, I feel like nobody in nobody in the Inferno really bathes a lot. Well, they bathe in a fiery... Well, yeah, in fiery snowflakes and whatever. We were just doing a little bit of reminiscing because, listeners, um, you are far in the future from us. We are actually still recording while Donald Trump is president. Isn't that um, crazy? It's oh crazy. He's president for two more days. That's when we're recording this. Do and we, we haven't recorded for over a month because we decided to respect the holidays of our strange culture and not do anything during them. Indeed, indeed. Okay, quick aside. Do we think that Donald Trump will be impeached by the Senate after he's out of office, which means that he will never yes. be president again? Well, no, he was already impeached by the House for the second time. Because right. impeach is just the same as indictment. He hasn't been tried, and they're going to put they're going to try him in the Senate after the new d- Democratic like almost majority takes effect on Wednesday. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> We're okay. such spectatories. We are spectatories. Okay, so in kind Canada- of like Dante. Dante. As Elaine just put it in our pre-recording conversation, which listeners we have, we have them. Ha 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 Dante is basically collecting interviews. I mean, he really is like writing a long-form piece. Yes. Well, actually, so dear listeners, I'm now taking a class about Dante's Inferno at the University of Chicago with professor justin steinberg and i was cool he was cool and i was listening to one of his lectures last week and something he said was that dante teaches you how to read the comedy as you read it and what he means by that is that at the beginning of the inferno the cantos each have a certain structure it's like dante chilling with virgil they go to a new place dante interviews some folks they say some things the sin is matched by the punishment is matched by the sin and then something else happens and then they go like but then it has, and dante also starts himself being a little bit sinful in that way right sinful yeah like you know remember when they were they were in like the circle of wrath and dante was like he was horrible and hateful and i hated him and threw him in the water like dante <laughs> himself starts kind of like exhibiting i don't know i feel like we we read that in one of the sinclair notes yeah, I think you're right. No, but but the point was that even though Dante sets up the structure, he actually, as the poem goes on, he starts to kind of riff on it and change it. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, you're like, oh, this is so formulaic. He basically just interviews people in hell. And then as time goes on, like Virgil starts to interview people or like Bad Booty and Ruby Conte mm-hmm. and all the devils like fuck shit up. So I think something that's really interesting about the poem is that but the interviews aren't always just interviews. Like sometimes yeah. it's yeah. So we'll see. Okay, but totally. Twenty-seven. What happened? Well, we met. That was the circle of the deceivers, and we met Guido yeah. da Montefeltro, who, um, I I still can't remember exactly what happened, but he somehow defrauded Pope Boniface, or there was what? he was like a bad advisor, right? 
he was a bad advisor and he was damned to hell. Um, no, but I, it's too complicated. But anyway, whatever. We met him and we also met the Eagle of Polenta. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listeners, I'm doing a whole 30 right now. So I technically Ooh. cannot have polenta. And that just made me really hungry. Well, we will make some polenta for you. Um, Thanks. Okay, so basically now we're in Canto 28. And, and my note in this in the Musa says that now we're entering the ninth Volja. I don't really understand why, but I guess that's what it is. My Sinclair also says that the uh, ninth Volja is upon us. So I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I, go. I don't know. okay, let me go back to the Musa. Okay. <clears throat> Who could, even in the simplest kind of prose, describe in full the scene of blood and wounds that I saw now, no matter how he tried? Certainly any tongue would have to fail. Man's memory and man's vocabulary are not enough to comprehend such pain. Oh my god. Yikes. If one could bring together all the wounded who once upon the, who once upon the fateful soil of Puglia grieved for their life's blood spilled by the Romans and spilled again in the long years of the war that ended in great spoils of golden rings, as Livy's history tells, that does not err, and pile them with the ones who felt the blows when they stood up against great Robert Guiscard and with those others whose bones are still in heaps at Ciprano, there where every Puglian turned traitor. And add those from Talia... I feel like this is a recipe of like all of... Okay. And mm-hmm. add those from Talia Cozzo, where old Alardo conquered weaponless. If all... Oh my God, the sentence will not end. If all these maimed with limbs lopped off or pierced were brought together, the scene would be nothing to compare with the foul ninth Bolgia's bloody sight. Okay, so what? He's Holy shit. described this battlefield full of corpses, right? Yeah. Yeah. What is this battle? Who is Robert Guisard? I have no idea. I'm going to look that up in the Sinclair. We can read the notes in the Musa, too. It says, in the 11th century, Robert Guisard, a noble Norman adventurer, gained control of most of southern Italy and became Duke of Apulia and Calabria, as well as Gonfalonier of the church. I don't know what that is. For the next two decades, he battled the schismatic Greeks and the Saracens for the church in the south of Italy, Later, he fought for the church in the east, raised a siege against Pope Gregory the Seventh, and died at the age of seventy, still engaged in warfare. Oh, yeah. No. Sinclair is like there's three main things he's comparing. It's like the Trojan, the wars of the Trojans who landed under Aeneas, so the Aeneid, so Virgil's epic, the battles in the war with Carthage, so like Hannibal, uh, and then the Norman War under Giscar. In the 11th mm-hmm. century, that's when you just... And then the battles of the empire in Dante's infancy. Okay. Hmm. Basically, cool. it just seems like he's he's kind of like... it was. It's really a lot of blood. So do we think that in this canto, we're going to meet people who died in battle? Haven't we already met people like that? I think that we've met people who died in battle, but they haven't been in battle or like bloody... Like, we met, like, Attila the Hun and all those dudes are drowning in blood, surely. Right, because they're tyrants. They were sinners. Yeah, they're, like, drowning in all the blood. So, 
Mm. Well, okay. okay, can we just really quickly review what was happening in each of the bulges? Because now we're in the ninth one, which I presume is the last one, right? I think so, yeah. So wait, let me go back to my notes on the the bad bulges. So we started in the first one with the pimps, the panders, and the seducers. The second mm -hmm. one, we've got the flatterers and the whores. Okay. Uh, and pickles, apparently. In the third bulge, the Simonists, so bony faces there. The fifth, the seers and psychics. Oh, sorry. No, the flatterers, the whores, and the Simonists. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. The flatterers and the whores are in the second. The Simonists are in the third. The fourth is the seers. The fifth is the um, grafters. Mm -hmm. That's where bad booty showed up. The sixth is um, the guys, the KKK guys. Oh, God. Who are, like, wearing their crazy... The hypocrites. The hypocrites. Yeah. Caiaphas. And then there's also the ones who are nailed on the ground. Mm -hmm. Then this, that's the sixth. The seventh is the thieves. The eighth was the deceivers. What could possibly be, be left? I don't know, but we're in the third part of hell right now, right? So... Yeah. I not there's not because we already went through sins of incontinence um that was the first part of hell yeah we're in, we're in the fraud we're in we're in fraud, we're in the fraud. so it has to be something to do with fraud i guess i mean it, it can't have to do with violence because that was the the second part of hell maybe it's about like i don't know basically it's just a big battlefield you know it reminds me of well it reminds me of two things it reminds me of, first of all, those paintings by, who's the guy who did, like, the Garden of Earthly Delights? Is it Bruegel? I don't know. Where it's, like, just this huge canvas of, um, or maybe it's on wood, I don't remember, of, like, all these people just getting tortured. Ugh, yeah, I know what you're talking um, about. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And there's also this really, maybe I've mentioned this before, this really amazing retelling of the Iliad called An Iliad, which I saw back in high school I think and the hmm. whole opening you know how the opening of the Iliad is kind of like and these ships came from here and these ships came from here and these ships yeah. came from here and you're kind of like oh my god so many ships but mm -hmm. the Ili this Iliad thing starts with this guy listing every single war that we know about in like western history oh my god and it takes like 10 minutes and it's a one-man play so it's basically just this guy saying like this war, this war, this war, this war, this war for like 10 minutes. And it's just really, it's a very affecting. And that's how I feel where yeah. he's like invoking like all of the dead. It's like he's saying like all the dead from, from the sum plus all of the dead from like the seven years war and the hundred years war and the Vietnam war. And like, you know, mm -hmm. Pink Phillips war, all like all of these different wars. And he's, <sighs> he's, Imagine all of those bloodied and maimed corpses map put together. The ninth bulge was worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. No wine yeah. cask with its stave or cant bar sprung was ever split the way I saw someone ripped open from his chin to where we fart. Very delicate. What? Between his legs, okay. his nuts spilled out with the heart and other vital parts and the dirty sack that turns to shit whatever the mouth gulps down. While I stood staring into his misery, he looked at me and with both hands, he opened his chest and said, 
see how I tear myself. See how Mahomet is deformed and torn. Oh my God. Oh my God. Weeping, Ali walks, his face cleft from his chin up to the crown. The souls that you see passing in this ditch were all sowers of scandal and schism in life. And so in death, you see them torn asunder. Oh my God, that's so bad. We are definitely getting to the part of medieval literature that's really anti-Islam, that's for sure. That's for sure. Who is Ali? Ali is Muhammad's um, nephew, I think. Okay. Okay. Because that's part of the split between Sunni and Shia, sorry, Mm -hmm. Um, where like some of them wanted his nephew and some of them wanted um abu Bakr, who is his like confidant so right. i guess okay yeah so shias okay. believe that ali was the rightful heir mm, okay interesting all right yeah. well we have some anti-islamic stuff here which okay. is bad. but so what do we what does that mean about this so this is the sowers of schism yeah i guess okay. the well, okay, you know what? I wonder if Eris is here, like the goddess of discord who threw the golden apple. Hmm, I guess we'll find out. Just want to just want to note that the note on page 152 31 says, Mahomet is split open from the crop to the chin, together with the complementary punishment of Ali, representing Dante's belief that they were initiators of the great schism between the Christian church and Mohammedanism, which I never would have thought that way. Like he, they basically saw Muslims and followers of Muhammad as like bad Christians or people who were taken away from Christianity by like you know a, a false sort of prophet. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's what I think that definitely rings true because it's also, I mean, there the the, the scriptural roots of both of them go back to Abraham, right and. The, I would, I think most Muslims would say, I mean, they're they're people of the book, like they are from the same root, and Muslim ideology is that Christians and Jews just haven't like caught up, whereas Jews are like, y'all got this new thing, like this you followed this Jesus guy, now you're following this Muhammad guy, but we're just following God, and Christians are like, okay, the Jews were wrong because like Jesus was the Messiah. But also Muhammad is out here saying Jesus was only a prophet. That's a lie. Like mm-hmm. they, they're like a splinter sect. Hmm. Hmm. I never knew that. Okay. Well, cause in, aren't the descendants of, isn't Muhammad supposed to be descended from Hagar? Ishmael. That's like a sort of apocryphal. Yeah. 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 Hagar, okay. Hagar and Ishmael. But then I do think it's really interesting. So I'm looking in the Sinclair about the, the farting line mm-hmm. I think there's it's a kind of you don't have to say part that farts or like part as Sinclair does part that breaks wind like you can just say buttocks so it's right. interesting I mean maybe it's necessary for the rhyme scheme or maybe he's kind of making fun of Muhammad by I, being that's like- what I yeah that's what I think it's a kind of dig at, at like this base or like I mean, because the other people who are associated with farts in the Inferno so far are these devils. Yeah. So it really does, it's very disrespectful, it feels. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Like it's a way of kind of describing not only is he like being ripped apart, but also ripped like his body is being figured as like this obscene uh, object. Well, and just as, I mean, I guess Dante's message might be that just as Mohammed tore apart the world with this new religion, so his body is being torn apart in hell. Something like that. Yeah, but not just his body. Not like, I mean, because Christ's body was torn apart or like Mm -hmm. injured and maimed. But people wouldn't say like, oh, Christ, who who was nailed to the cross by his wrists and like wore a loincloth over his farting part. Yeah. Like, people don't describe it that way so i feel like the way the body is being described also has a a very specific valence i agree oh my god okay so gross do you want to go also he just talks to dante he's just like okay yeah i can go um where did we stop the devil oh oh a devil a devil stands is this still this is still muhammad talking right yeah um is it him talking? Yeah, I think so. Back on line 30, see how I tear myself. See how yeah. Mahomet is deformed and torn, blah, blah, blah. A devil stands back there who trims us all in this cruel way. And each one of this mob receives anew the blade of the devil's sword each time we make one round of this sad road because the wounds have all healed up again by the time each one presents himself once more. Oh my God. God. But who are you there gawking from the bridge and trying to put off, perhaps, fulfillment of the sentence passed on you when you confessed? Hmm? What? What does Muhammad think Dante is here for? Clearly he's not up to date with... Well, maybe he thinks Dante's dead. Maybe he thinks Dante's a sinner who confessed to this sin. But all the other dead people have been like, oh my god, you're not dead. Does Muhammad... Maybe Muhammad is just kind of distracted by the fact that his body is being cleft asunder. Okay, but let's look at line 46. Death does not have him yet. He is not here to suffer for his guilt, my master answered. So I think Virgil has to tell him, mm. look, Dante's not dead. But that he may have full experience. I, who am dead, must lead him through this hell from round to round, down to the very bottom. And this is as true as my presence speaking here. Huh. What do we think it means that Muhammad can't tell that Dante is dead? Maybe Dante is slowly dying a little bit more as he goes deeper into hell, and therefore it's harder for the dead people to know that he's not dead. Yeah. I mean That would be a cool version. That would be a cool thing in this fantasy world. That would be cool. I mean, the other thing is that Muhammad isn't a Christian, right? So and but he's in a very Christian hell. So maybe he can't really he doesn't he doesn't come from a kind of christian paradigm and so maybe things like that aren't really clear to him because i don't know why i mean just a guess yeah true yeah do you want to go on yeah more than a hundred in that ditch so now so muhammad stopped has stopped talking now or virgil has stopped talking now and it's the woman narrating the poet narrating more than a hundred in that ditch stopped short to look at me when they had heard his words forgetting in their stupor what they suffered. And you, who will behold the sun, perhaps quite soon, tell Fra Dolcino that unless he wants to follow me here quick, he'd better stock up on food, or else the binding snows will give the Novaris their victory, a conquest not won easily otherwise. 
Um, so that was a speaker, I guess. Is that Muhammad talking again? Oh yeah, yeah. With the heel of one foot raised to take a step, Mahomet said these words to me and then stretched out and down his foot and moved away. Okay, why would Mohammed care about Fra Dolcino? So, Who knows? Maybe that's like all the hot goss in hells. Like, all they know. Oh my god. Sorry, this is, feels really, really heretical in a way that other cantos haven't. Um, it's not the time <laughs> Fra Dolcino has come up, though. Or maybe it is. Maybe I'm just distracted because Fra Dolcino is like really a huge part of um, the name of the rose, which I was kind of paging through the other day. The name of the rose? The name of the rose. It's like this Umberto Eco novel. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he's, like is- a her- he's like a heretical figure. It says in the note here, Fra Dolcino, Fra Dolcino died in 1307, though not a monk, as his name would seem to indicate, was the leader of a religious sect, banned as heretical by Pope Clement V in 1305. His sect was the Apostolic Brothers, they preached the return of religion to the simplicity of apostolic times, and among their tenets were community of property and sharing of women. Wow. All right. So, There's so much going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Clement V ordered the eradication of the brothers, Dolcino and his followers retreated to the hills near Novara, where they withstood the papal forces for over a year until starvation conquered them. They were burned at the Dolcino and his companion, Margaret of Trent, were burned at the stake in 1307. Wow. The Sinclair note says his lover, not companion, but, yeah. or sorry, his mistress, his mistress. I mean, yeah, that sounds, well, you know wow. what, her mistress, okay? Let's do some reversal there of the gender norm. Okay, do you want to go? Um, Yeah, so Mohammed is like a weird gossip in hell, but okay. Oh, yeah. Um, Another with his throat slit, oh great. And his nose cut off as far as where the eyebrows start, and he had—he only had a single ear to show, who had stopped like all the rest to stare and wonder, stepped out from the group and opened—oh God—and opened up his throat, which ran with red from all sides of his wound, and spoke, "Oh, you whom guilt does not condemn." Okay, so he knows that he's not dead. Or maybe he overheard Virgil saying. Okay. Whom I have seen in Italy up there, unless I am deceived by similarity. Ooh, it's a friend. Recall to mind Pier da Medicina. Should you return to see the gentle plain declining from Vercelli to Marcabo and inform the two best citizens of Fano, tell Messer Guido and tell Angiolello that if our foresight here is no deception from their ship, they shall be hurled bound in a sack to drown in the water near Catolica, the victims of a tyrant's treachery. Between the isles of Cyprus and Majorca, so great a crime Neptune never witnessed among the deeds of pirates or the Argives. Okay, so he's basically like telling the future about this uh, these other people. Yeah. That traitor who sees only with one eye, is he referring to himself? I don't know. And no. rules. The, oh no, he's not. And rules the land that someone with me here wishes he'd never fed his eyes upon. Will have them come to join him in a parley. Then see to it they do not waste their breath on vows or prayers to escape Bokara's wind. Okay, I have the sense that he just like delivered some hot steaming tea about like the O.J. Simpson trial, but I don't know any of these names, so I don't get it. But it's like I hot. know. I feel like it's it's very kind of like 
it reminds me of some of the earlier cantos where like they're all obsessed with knowing the present but they know the future and the past they just don't know what's happening at the moment and but okay there's a whole there's a whole bolgia reserved for people who tell the future on earth so why are they allowed to do it in the underworld it seems like all these people should have like a timeshare in the ninth and like fourth bolgias yeah well I, I don't think he's necessarily telling the future he's just saying like if you return to see this like battlefield tell him like inform that these his people. that these that this is their future to dr- uh, oh yeah 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 okay yeah if our foresight here is no deception from their ship they shall be hurt but maybe it's like you can tell them the future but it won't change it i just think maybe all sinners in hell can tell the future maybe i think not- they can yeah. i think they can maybe it's about like Tiresias, etc., yeah. or like at Al, did it oh. in the wrong place. Like they tried to be a god by telling it on Earth. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that okay, right. that makes sense. Okay, and I to him, if you want me to bring back to those on Earth your message, who is the one sated with the bitter sight? Show him to me. At once, he grabbed the jaws of a companion standing nearby and squeezed his mouth half open, announcing, Here he is, and he is mute. This man, in exile, drowned all Caesar's doubts and helped him cast the die when he insisted, A man prepared who hesitates is lost. How helpless and bewildered he appeared, his tongue hacked off as far as down the throat, this curio, once so bold and quick to speak, and one who had both arms but no hands, raising the gory stumps in the filthy air so that the blood dripped down and smeared his face, cried, You, no doubt, also remember Mosca, who said, alas, what's done is over with, and sowed the seed of discord for the Tuscans. Wow. Who is this guy? Well, the note says, Caius Crebonius Curio wishes he had never seen Rimini, the city near which the Rubicon River empties into the Adriatic, once a Roman tribute, Roman tribune under Pompey, Curio defected to Caesar's side, that is Julius Caesar, and when the Roman general hesitated to cross the Rubicon, Curio convinced him to cross and march on to Rome. At the time, the Rubicon formed the boundary between Gaul and the Roman Republic, and Caesar's decision to cross it precipitated the Roman Civil War. So basically, if you remember, like, have you ever heard the, the phrase, like, oh, we can't go back, we've crossed the Rubicon? Yeah. So that's what that's referring to. It's basically right before Caesar becomes effectively emperor when Mm. he comes back. And then right after he does this, um, he like eventually gets assassinated after this. But it's basically about, I guess it's, this is the guy who like, he's getting blamed. I mean, even though Caesar, where is Caesar? Is Caesar in hell? Surely he's in hell. I don't think we've met him in hell yet. Maybe he's going to be somewhere else. I bet he's going to be in paradise because of freaking Roman yeah. Empire or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, it's kind of, this guy is getting the blame for Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon and like doing bad right. things. I, I, I'm very skeptical of this. It feels like Dante was like, I can't put Caesar in hell, even though Caesar precipitated the civil war. So I have to blame the guy who convinced him to do that. Right, right. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Honestly, this kind of this stuff is kind of hard for me to grasp. Like, I just I, I really think that we should rewrite the Inferno about modern day celebrities. I think that would be really fun. I think that would be fun and help people connect with the material. 
Yeah, because it's just like too... I mean, this is something that Steinberg was talking about in class. He was saying Dante set out to write an epic poem for the ages, yet he also grounded it in the context and the characters of his day. Like, people at the time reading this would have known all these people and known all these battles, right? But to us... Which is also why it's surprising to me that... I mean, maybe this is the case, but like, it's surprising to me that nobody has rewritten it. Maybe they have. And probably in Italian they have. We just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Do you want to go? Sure. Um, So, blah, blah, blah. This guy, Mosca, who said, alas, blah, 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 sowed the seed of discord for the Tuscans. End of death for all your clan, I quickly said. And he, this fresh wound added to his wound. Okay, Dante, don't flatter yourself. Turned and went off like one gone mad from pain. But I remained to watch the multitude and saw a thing that I would be afraid to tell about without more evidence. Were I not reassured by my own conscience, that good companion enheartening a man beneath the breastplate of its purity. That's a nice way of imagining conscience. I Hmm. saw it, I'm sure, and I seem to see it still. A body with no head that moved along, moving no differently from all the rest. He held his severed head up by its hair. Oh my god, it's the headless horseman! Swinging it in one hand, just like a lantern. And as it looked at us, it said, Alas! Do you want to go? Alas! Of his own self he made himself light. And they were two in one and one in two. How could this be? He who ordained it knows. And when he had arrived below our beach, He raised the arm that held the head up high to let it speak to us at closer range. It spoke. Now see the monstrous punishment. You there, still breathing, looking at the dead. See if you find suffering equal to mine. And that you may report on me up there. Know that I am Bertrande Born, the one who evilly encouraged the young king. Father and son I set against each other. Achitophel, with his wicked instigations, did not do more with Abbas, Absalom, and David. Because I cut the bonds of those so joined, I bear my head cut off from its life source, which is back there, alas, with its trunk. In me, you see the perfect contrapasso. Oh my god, Dante is literally, like, tooting his own horn. Is this where the word contrapasso actually comes from? That yeah, sense. I think Dante actually made that word up. Also, can I just yeah. not very subtle poetically? This is like Dante being like, here is a character that basically encapsulates my entire poetic device. <laughs> like, this is how it works. <laughs> yeah. Because but he does it when it's like the most gory and stuff. So we're kind of di- distracted by how gross this whole candle has been. Yeah. Man, it is the headless horse man. It totally is. Do you think that that's where that comes from? No, definitely not. It's. I think that beheading someone is like a very surefire way to kill them. And that's why beheading has been so, dare I say, popular for centuries. Yeah. As a way of killing people. Mm-mm. Man. Okay, but who is this but guy? I think that, sorry, just to finish that thought. I think that the headless horseman or like the idea of someone coming back to life because you see this in a lot of medieval poetry i mean it's a huge part of gawain in the green knight as you will discover uh-huh. but like it the the idea of a head 
moving or like a body still alive without the head goes against it's like the most viscerally obvious way that a body can be supposed to be dead but still alive you know like if you cut off sorry this is like sort of like disgusting maybe unnecessarily but like or you know obviously there are different ways that people's limbs are amputated but yeah uh if you cut off another limb like you can still live a fulfilled life you know but if you cut off your head like there's no physical way with the modern technology that we have and at any era in the earth's history like that you can stay alive and therefore i think it's the most kind of viscerally um disturbing image and probably why it crops up so much in so many different cultures and and different types of story yeah i think you're right um and it's creepy so creepy and also like the idea that you can still speak from beyond the grave like you're clearly dead but your your mouth have you seen the snl sketch about the headless horseman by the way it's really funny no, it's basically all these guys from uh, it's John Mulaney when he was the host and it's all these guys from whatever the town is Sleepy Hollow who are like hey so I know you're dead and everything but like do you ever use the head to you know you know and the horseman's like what how dare you speak to me and they're all like but you know like you could right like you could and he's like what do you mean it's really funny that's actually really great <laughs> i don't think that bertrand de Born is doing that in hell because that does not seem very appropriate but who knows we don't also, see all the time quick, quick note bertrand de Born was one of the greatest of the provencal troubadours but he mm. suffered hell for having caused the rebellion of henry the young king against his father henry the second king of england Okay, how could he single-handedly have caused a rebellion? Yeah, this, okay, this also seems really, have we seen Henry the Young King yet? I don't think so. Was he among the people who, I want to go back and like catalog all the people who've been mentioned, but. Mm, That's a good project. I I think this is another example of like the advisors being blamed when, it's like saying, oh, you know, the fact that the U.S. COVID response is so bad is because, like, Dr. Fauci was bad. Right. Okay, maybe it's not exactly the same because Dr. Fauci is my hero <laughs> and would never say anything wrong, but it's kind of like saying, I don't know, I, I'm not even going to try. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's kind of like saying Trump was bad because Mike Pence gave him bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, oh, sorry, I didn't do my homework. Like, my sister told me the wrong answer. Like, right, 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 right. I know. I wonder if that's how they thought about authority, though. Like, that authority was just a symbolic head, and then the neck that turns the head and makes decisions are all the advisors, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And they didn't actually yeah. realize that people in authority made decisions because there was this tradition of kind of, like, courtly advising, advising ship. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, the night well, really gory. Yeah, really gory. I mean, does this mean we're done with the bulges now? We've been on the bulges for, like, months. I know. I'm kind of sick of the bulges. I'm pretty done with them, to be honest. Yeah, I think we might be done. Oh my god, yay! One thing I wanted to mention. Do we know who Achitophel Achitophel is? Uh, sounds biblical. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. In my note it says, Achitophel, Absalom's counselor in his rebellion against King David. So like, Absalom is King David's son. 
who raises a rebellion against him, mm-hmm. um, which is he's also mentioned here. And it's that rebellion is also um, related, I believe, to the assault on Tamar by her half-brother um, that is also chronicled in the Bible. Interesting. So it's kind of, it's that's like the most famous biblical example of like son rebelling against father. Because Absalom was David's second son or something like that, right? Uh, yes. Or okay. he's, but he's also David's like favorite son, I think. Mm. And he, why did he rebel against his father? Um, I think it's because he's, uh, like, doesn't, he was, like, rejecting the, the fact that his sister Tamar had been raped by David's other son. But let me look that up. I want to make sure that that's true. Okay. Um, but why don't we update our listeners on that next week or in the comments? Yeah. I'm pretty Let's sure that's true. Okay. God, well, what a gory canto. Again, for another divine canto with the divine duo. So titillating. Stuart so sister. titillating. Now the sisters, one of whom lives on Stuart Street and the other one who lives on 55th. Now so. the the Zencaster zoodles. <laughs> like noodles made of zucchini. <laughs> Love it. Those are Whole30 compliant, by the way. Okay, what? bye.